Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And while you're being seated, please turn to the Old Testament book of Job. Not Job, but Job. The book of Job. Right before the book of Psalms and Proverbs in the Old Testament, it is part of what is considered the wisdom literature in the Old Testament rather than sort of the history of the nation of Israel. Why study the book of Job at all? Why read the book of Job? Because all of us will have experiences in our lives that may cause us to lose our faith in God. And that's why knowing what the book of Job teaches us and reveals to us is so important. Again, let me share that again. The significance of the book of Job is because there will be experiences that we will have throughout our lifetime that may cause us to lose our faith in God. And therefore, the message of Job is very relevant. The first sort of point that I want to make today as we weave our worship in the Word together is where Job deals with the reality of suffering. The reality of suffering. Job is known for many things uh, from the Word of God. We've all heard of the patience of Job. Uh, the Bible teaches us here how righteous Job is. Uh, notice in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Job, it says, There was man, a man in the, in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was pure and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. In fact, down in verse 5, it even says that Job would offer sacrifices even for his children if they had done something wrong themselves. So we, we see the righteousness of Job. We also see the wealth of Job. Uh, in verse 2, it talks about his sons and daughters and his possessions and how great he was. In fact, at the end of verse 3, notice it says that Job was the greatest of all the people in the East. He was not only a, a patient man, he was not only a righteous man, uh, he, he was a very wealthy and great man. But what Job is known for more than anything else, whether you're talking to a Christian or a non-Christian, many people have heard of the trials and sufferings of Job. And that's really what Job is known for above all other things. And yet his sufferings, his trials, are really in the book of Job reduced to eight verses. And so I want us today to look, first of all, at seven verses, beginning in chapter 1, verse 13, at the loss of Job's wealth. And yes, I've even included his children in that because, in a sense, the Bible teaches us that, that our children are, in a sense, part of the richness and wealth that God blesses people with. So I want you to just follow along with me as we read Job 1.13 and look at the loss of Job's wealth. Now the day came when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job saying, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing beside them and the Sabaeum swooped down and carried them all away and they killed the servants with the sword. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants, it has consumed them. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, 
and made a raid on the camels and carried them all away, and they killed the servants with the sword, and I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind swept across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they died. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. In those seven verses, we have described the entire loss of Job's wealth. If that were not enough, though, uh, in the conversation that Satan and God are having here in in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, Satan basically says, well, the only reason Job ever served you and lived for you is because everything was going right in his life. And if things just started to go haywire a little bit, you know, he wouldn't follow you or serve you anymore. And, of course, after all the catastrophe with his wealth and his family, Satan then comes back and says, well, you know, he hasn't been touched yet. Let me get at him personally. Let let him suffer, and then we'll see where his faith is. So in chapter 2, verse 7, notice what it says. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he afflicted Job with a malignant ulcer from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. And in chapter 2, verse 7, then, we have the loss of Job's health. In these eight verses, we see the suffering and trials that Job lost. And obviously the intensity of his suffering is beyond probably our comprehension. Some of us may suffer more comprehensively through our lifetime, but probably very few human beings have ever suffered as intensely, as as quickly as Job did here described in the book of Job. By the way, I want to say this at this point, speaking of Job losing his health, There's been a saying around ever since even I was a child that that human beings sometimes pass back and forth to each other that, you know, all we really have is our health. Well, folks, I hate to say this, but if that's true, that means we are all sure to lose the only thing that we really have. There's got to be more to life and our existence than even our health, as we're going to see here in the book of Job. The book of Job, though, deals with the reality of suffering. And one of the questions I want to ask of us today is this. Are we receiving in our spiritual lives what we need to deal with the realities of life? You know, many even local churches today and even Christians, the way they live their lives so casually and uncommitted, it's like, are you really getting out of your spiritual life what you need to deal with the realities of life? You know, instead of denying that suffering and trials ever going to come, or are we putting ourselves in places where we can grow and become stronger and deal with even the harshest realities of life? Many church services today have been reduced to motivational pep talks that try to psych Christians up to go out there and, you know, try to live one more week for the Lord, but never really give people the truth that we need to deal with the realities of life. And what we see very clearly in the book of Job is the reality of suffering. In fact, notice there in chapter 1, verse 20, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and then threw himself down with his face to the ground. 
He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. There's reality there. And the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with moral impropriety. One of the main points of this great Old Testament book is the reality of suffering. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Are we putting ourselves in a place where we are growing to a place where we can deal with the realities of life, whatever they are? If the book of Job deals with the reality of suffering, it also deals secondly with this, the limits of our human understanding. That's the second main point in the book of Job, the limits of our understanding. And if you want to follow along, eventually we're going to get here. Turn to Job 38. I'm going to get to that chapter in just a moment. Job 38, the limits of our understanding. Let, let me set up for you now what's happened. After the story of Job and, and dealing with the loss of his wealth and the loss of his health, his friends begin to hear what's happened to him. And three of his closest friends, men by the name of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, show up. And when they show up, they literally just sort of huddle around Job, and the Bible says they just keep silent for a whole week. They don't, they don't say anything, none of them, all four men sitting there. And then a little bit later, a younger man by the name of Elihu joins them as well. Now, after that week of silence, which was probably the smartest thing those guys ever did, Job in verse, in, excuse me, Job in chapter 3 begins to pour out his heart to God and obviously deals with, you know, reality of even how he's feeling, God, you know, what's going on and why and all this and I should have never been born and I mean on and on and on and then in chapter 4 Job's three friends begin to reflect on all that has happened to Job and really this this forms the greatest part of the book of Job it goes all the way from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 37 where Job's four friends and himself sort of have this back and forth reflecting on why these things have happened to him. The bottom line is that if we were to summarize where all of his friends land on this, it would be in this way. Job, this is extraordinary what has happened to you. You must have done something really, really bad. That's pretty much what their argument is from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 37. Joe, I don't know what you did, but man, for you to suffer like this, you must have done something really, really bad. Now, if we were to summarize Job's response to all of those situations, I would say it this way. Oh, no, I didn't. That's pretty much what Job continues to say. Not that Job says, look, I'm not sinless. I'm not perfect, obviously. But he says, there's no way I've done anything in my life that would warrant or equal the kind of suffering that I'm going through. And what we have here is basically a description in the majority of the book of Job of the limits of our human understanding. 
You see, we think that every experience in life must fit within our narrow scope of understanding. It would be like us going out there and finding a radio station, a one wavelength, and concluding that uh, there's nothing good on that wavelength, and so therefore there's nothing good on any of the wavelengths out there. But the only one I'm listening to is that wavelength. That's the way many of us live our lives. We fail to, in our pride, remember how limited we are, how finite we are. And therefore, when we or someone else is going through an experience, we think somehow that we automatically need to put that within the framework of what we can understand. Now, surely, God wants us to understand much. Part of our value here at the Oasis is encouraging people that if God has put it in his word, he wants us to understand it. So let's get everything we can, put all of our energy and effort into growing in our understanding. But we all must come to that place where we realize the limits of our understanding. That not everything is going to fit within my framework of being able to understand it. Some things are going to fall outside of that. And if it does fall outside of that, and I can't understand what I or someone else is going through, will I begin to get bitter and angry with God simply because I don't understand it? Will I contemn him if I do not understand something? Well, the reason I had you turn to Job chapter 38 is finally, after all of these human beings muse on why Job has suffered so much, God finally speaks in chapter 38. And I want to just share a couple things that both God and Job say here in these last couple of chapters of Job. Notice it says in chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and says, who is this who darkens counsels with words without knowledge? The word means wisdom, understanding, or discernment. Then over in chapter 40, if you will turn there, the first five verses. Then the Lord answered Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let the person who accuses God give him an answer. Then Job answered the Lord, Indeed, I am completely unworthy. How could I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth to silence myself. I have spoken once, but I cannot answer. Twice, but I will say no more. In fact, over in chapter 40, look at verse 8. God says to Job and to the others, would you indeed annul my justice? Would you declare me guilty so that you might be right? That's what many people do, especially when we come to an experience in our lives or others that we cannot understand. Notice then in chapter 42, Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? But I have declared without understanding. The word means insight. 
things too wonderful for me to know, literally beyond or what surpasses me. You said, pay attention and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. And I love what Job says in verse 5. Don't miss this. This is what many of us have come to this place in our lives as well. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. That's how many Christians live at that level. I've heard of you, God. But notice now what he says. But now my eye has seen you. In other words, I have a vision of you. I have an insight. I have a perception of you that I did not have before. Because before this event in my life, even though I was a righteous man and a wealthy man and a blessed man and a great man, I was still living predominantly based upon my own understanding. And I realized through this experience the limits of my understanding. In fact, you'll note if you read and study the book of Job that God never tells Job or his friends about the conversation with Satan in the first couple of chapters that precipitate all the suffering and trials that Job went through. I mean, can you imagine even God doing that? Hey, Job, so let me tell you. So Satan showed up one day in heaven, and, you know, we start having this conversation, and he said, hey, how about your, you know, and I said, hey, look at my servant Job, and he says, well, you know, how about back and forth. He, he never did that. First of all, I think part of the whole silence is God is trying to teach all of us here, there are some things that you wouldn't understand even if I tried to explain them to you. You are a finite limited creation of mine. And you have to come to an understanding that you're very limited in your scope of understanding. And that's what Job and his friends found out. In fact, in the very last chapter of the book of Job, chapter 42, God basically says to Job's friends, you were wrong. Job was not suffering because he had done something terrible. In fact, isn't it interesting that instead of his vice being the reason that he suffered so, it was his virtue that was the reason he suffered so. And then God blessed Job more than he ever had up to that point in his life. The first main theme in this great book of the Old Testament is the reality of suffering. The second great theme is the limits of our human understanding. May we come to the place that Job and his friends came to, realizing the greatness of our God and the limits of who we are. The third main point in the book of Job is the necessity for trusting God. If the first is the reality of suffering and the second is the limits of our understanding, then the third is the necessity for trusting God. Before we get back into the scriptures there in chapter 38 of Job, I want to take us for a moment, say, down to Sky Harbor Airport. I want us to show sometimes how, in a, in a sense, I feel the hypocrisy in our lives uh, of, of how we might trust or entrust ourselves to something or someone else, but we struggle to entrust ourselves to the great almighty creator of the universe. And I want to use flying as an example. I'm not saying flying is dangerous, 
But there is a lot going on at every airport. And we've got some pilots in here too, you know, Dave and Elliot and others who fly. Um, but when you think about even just the air traffic at a place like Sky Harbor and all the planes coming in and out and what's happening up in the tower and in and out and all this kind of stuff. And yet I don't think, I think I'm probably safe in saying that there hasn't probably been one of us who has ended up at Sky Harbor getting ready to fly out who before we let that plane take off, we go around to everybody that's going to come in contact with our particular flight and we ask them for their credentials. Have you went up to the pilot of the plane and go, hey, how long have you been flying? How many, how many flight hours do you have before I let you take, take me off here? And, and do, we, do we make sure that all the, you know, the uh, people up in the tower, you know, do, how, how long have you been doing this? And uh, are you awake up there and all of that, you know? And then what about all the variables at airports? You know, do, do we make sure before we just let that plane take off that all the variables, we're satisfied with all the variables, you know, the, the wind and the weather and, the, and ha when was the last time the plane was really checked out? When was the last time those engines were checked out? I mean, do we go through all that? No, most of us go down to that airport in spite of all that's happening. All those different things, all those, you know, competency issues and variables in flying, and we still just get on that plane and we let them take us off. Without question. Now, I'm not saying some of us aren't nervous when we fly and maybe have a little fear of flying and all that, but we still just, we do it, don't we? And yet when it comes to trusting God that same way, many of us are like, nope. Not letting you take me anywhere, God. I'll let some human being or some airplane company take me somewhere, knowing that stuff could happen, but no, not going to trust you. And what the book of Job is reminding us of is the necessity of trusting God. God gives us even here in the book of Job, to Job and his friends, the basis, the very foundation even for trusting him so. And the basis and foundation for trusting him is that he is the creator, the provider, and the sustainer of the universe that he created. Look at what God says, beginning in chapter 38, verse 4. He says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you possess understanding. And who set its measurements, if you know? Or who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its bases set? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang in chorus and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea with doors when it burst forth coming out of the womb? When I made the storm clouds, its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling hand. When I prescribed its limits and set in place its bolts and doors. When I said, to here you may come and no further. Here you proud waves, you will be confined. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or made the dawn know its place? That it might seize the corners of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features are dyed like a garment. Then from the wicked the light is withheld and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you gone to the springs that fill the sea or walked about in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deepest darkness? 
Have you considered the vast expanses of the earth? God says, tell me if you know it all. Then look over at chapter 38, verse 33. Or actually, verse 32, I'll start there. God says, can you lead out the constellations in their seasons or guide the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens or can you set up their rule over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts as they go? Will they say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the heart or who has imparted understanding to the mind? Who by wisdom can count the clouds or who can tip over the water jars of heaven when the dust hardens into a mass and the clumps of earth stick together? And then God begins to pick out animals from his creation. He basically says, hey, do you take care of the lion and make sure that she's okay at the end of chapter 38? Then in chapter 39, he says, are you acquainted with the mountain goats and the wild deer? Then in verse 5 of chapter 39, he talks about the wild donkey. And then in verse 9, the wild ox and all that he does for them, how he made them and how they're capable of you know, being provided for and sustained. In verse 13, he talks about the ostrich and then also the stork. And again, how they are able to make it in God's universe. Then in verse 19, he talks about the fact that you give the horse its strength. And he talks about all the characteristics of the horse. And then over in verse 26, he talks about the hawk. And then in verse 27, he talks about the eagle. And then finally, over in chapter 40, verse 15, God introduces Job and the others to one of his creatures called Behemoth. And then in chapter 41, verse 1, he also talks about another great creation of his Leviathan. I personally believe that these were two of God's biggest and greatest of all his creations. Two dinosaurs, one a land dinosaur and the other one a water dinosaur. And God is basically saying to Job and to the others, you need to trust me. And I've given you foundation. I've given you basis to trust me. I am the creator of all that you see. I am the provider of all that you see. I am the sustainer of all that you see. Could you do what I do for one second without the universe falling apart? No. No. And God is saying, you're limited in your understanding as a human being. Even those of you who know me, you're still limited. You're still finite. But I'm God. I'm the one who created it all. I'm the one who provides for it all. I'm the one who sustains it all. I'm the one who made the great creatures like the dinosaurs. And I watch over my creation, and I will watch over you. God is saying to his people through the book of Job, we may not always understand, but we can always choose to trust. I don't know what you're going through, what season of life you're going through, and maybe you're just struggling to understand. Again, God is all about gaining understanding. But we have to acknowledge at times there's limits to what we can and will understand while here on this earth as human beings. What I need to do more than anything else 
is not always seek understanding, but seek to trust God. Will I give my life and let him have it? Will I rest in him knowing that he is the creator, provider, and sustainer of the universe? One last point that the book of Job sort of launches us into and carries us through even into the New Testament is that there's something better than understanding. There's something better than understanding. Before I finish this out this morning, I do want to make this point for those of you that maybe want to get into the book of Job also and maybe have heard something today, your little, I just want to remind us of this. Not only did Job learn and his friends grow through this, but Satan was proven wrong by God. That all that Satan had said and declared, it was all proven to be wrong by God. And I think God even in some way was showing Satan, see Satan, you, you don't know as much as you think you do either. We've talked about the reality of suffering. We've talked about the limits of our understanding and the necessity for trusting God, but it leads us to this final point. There's something even better than understanding. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, go to the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 7. Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul says to the Philippians that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding and that that peace will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's something more sure, more strong, more even satisfying and fulfilling than understanding. And that is God's peace. See, there comes times in our Christian life where either we're going to experience something that's going to cause us to question our faith in God or someone else that we know is going to go through an experience and we're going to question. And we may, may be like Job and his friends we may need to acknowledge the limit of our understanding. As much as we may try to wrap our minds around it, on this earth, we may never get to the understanding of why certain things happen. But when those times come, as all times in our life, the one thing we can always choose to do is to trust God. And the Bible teaches us that when we trust God, he will give us his gift of peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that's even better than any understanding we could come to. It's more sure, more strong. And that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, my peace I want to give to you. And when God offers us his peace, he says, look, 
this peace will be able to sustain you and help you to navigate the toughest, hardest, harshest times of life. When you or others are going through such suffering and trials and you have no understanding of it, trust me, God says, I am a God who has shown you in being your creator, provider, and sustainer that I can be trusted. And if you so easily entrust yourself to other people and other things and you know that they can fail at times, why do you hesitate to trust me, the almighty God who have never failed you? I have never left you. I will never forsake you. When we trust God, we gain his peace. But here's the opposite side of that. If we choose to live only by our own understanding, then we will never experience peace. If we go through life as human beings saying, I have got to understand everything. I've got to know all the whys and what fors. And it's got to fit within my narrow scope, my one wavelength that I can see life through. We'll never experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. I hope today that in some way we've all been challenged and encouraged by the message of the book of Job. Yes, the reality is we will suffer. Others will suffer. That's life on earth in a fallen world. And the also is that I've got to acknowledge and humble myself and get rid of my pride and realize that there are limits to my understanding. I won't understand everything. And God, even if he could explain it to me, sometimes I wouldn't even understand it at this point. But what God does say to me and encourage me to do is to trust him. He's given me the evidence, the basis, the foundation to trust him. And he says to me that if I will trust him, I will receive his gift of peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that's better than understanding. Folks, that's what our world needs today. That's what we as a church need. That's what we as Christians need because we are living in a world where there is no peace. There's fear. There's worry. There's anxiety. There's stress, there's pills, there's coping mechanisms, but there's very few who are really experiencing the peace that passes all understanding. I hope today you will trust God like you never have before and realize that with that step of trusting him, you will receive his peace. Let me share with you before we close in prayer a few things. Again, one of the reasons that we did this today is because today many churches emphasize the word at the expense of worship 
or they emphasize worship at the expense of the word. And I think clearly, biblically, that our time in the word should drive our worship and our time in worship should drive us to the word. They are to complement, not compete with one another. And what we want to do here at the Oasis is create a group of people who both drive, are driven by worship and the word, who feel that what happens at 10 o'clock is just as important as what happens at 10.20 or 10.25. And though we won't specifically do a service like this very, you know, all the time, that we want to show our people the importance of weaving them together, and even in your own life. I know I've found that, that there'll be times where I'm reading a passage of Scripture, and all of a sudden God will pop one of my favorite worship songs or a, a hymn or something into my mind, and I begin to, to sing that, and then that drives me to another passage of Scripture. And it, it all works together, folks. And that's what God wants to see in our lives. He wants to create in our lives a hunger to worship Him and also to be in his word. Also, I would be remiss this morning if I did not take the time to thank Nicole and her team this morning. Thank you all very much for doing this today. It took some extra effort on their part as well, and I just appreciate all these folks. And then all of, us, all of the people each week who work on our sound and with the words and all of that, they, they made this all possible as well. And so I just want to thank all of you for doing that. Hey, real quick, a couple of reminders. Tuesday night, our Tuesday night Bible study. You know, one of the things I hear sometimes from Christians is, you know what, I'm really going to get committed and I'm going to start serving the Lord and, and my, my Christian life's going to look different whenever things sort of settle out for me in my life. Right now I'm going through a, you know, a, a crazy time. Th things need to be a little bit, you know, in a, a better perfect environment. Then, then once I get to that season, then I'll, I'll start this and I'll start that. The passage we're going to be on on Tuesday night reminds us that if we as Christians wait for that perfect season, for everything just to be right in our lives, to live for God and serve him and minister and get involved in the things we need to, then we'll never do it. Because there's never this season where everything just sort of lays out just perfectly for us to where it's just right. Now, God, I'll, I'll you know, sign up. It doesn't work that way. So I hope you'll come Tuesday night and be encouraged and challenged by what we're going through on Tuesday nights there in the book of Acts. Gals, we've already had many gals sign up for the fall Bible study, and that now, the date of that beginning has changed from the 4th of September to the 11th. Please go out and talk to Marsha or one of the other gals involved in our women's ministry Guys, same thing. Woody always has that table set up every week out there for us, has those verses to go through for our devotions, and uh, just wants to encourage the men of our church. And so, you know, get involved in, in what our men is doing and getting together as well. And then our marriage getaway is coming up the first weekend of October this year. It's open to any married couple. They don't have to be a part of our church here at the Oasis. But we just want to take a weekend, a Friday and Saturday, just sort of a 24-hour period, Friday night into Saturday afternoon, to just encourage uh, those of us in, in marriage. So if you'd like to be a part of that, please see my wife. We're in that sign-up 
mowed now, and it only goes for about a month because the buttes where we're at actually gives us the deadline that they need about a month out. So we, you need to sign up or at least begin getting the details of that if you're interested in being a part of that. One other uh, homeless ministry, you'll notice out there in the uh, lobby that they have their things set up for donations and whatnot. And as you know, Mark has had to pass that ministry off to Toby. And uh, I would like to meet just down front for a few minutes with any of you who have been a part of the homeless ministry or who are interested in going out uh, once a month and being a part of that homeless ministry. It's sort of under new leadership now. I'm excited about that, that it's been picked up and there's, many, there's a group, a team of leaders who said, we don't want to let this ministry drop. We want to see this through. I think that's awesome. Uh, so if you just meet with me for a few minutes, that would be awesome. I hope you guys, I know it was a little different today, but like I said, every once in a while, different's good. We need to get sometimes out of the rut and routine that we're in, even if it's a good routine and a good rut, and allow God to stretch us. And I know he stretched me through this, uh, and I think he stretched Nicole and others through this as well, because it was, you know, we didn't really know how this was going to look. And you can imagine, I'm like, okay, I know I got to land around 11 o'clock and I got to do five different. And I was like, oh God, please don't let me go till noon, you know. So it worked. God was good, right? He was good. So anyway, thank you guys. It's great to see you guys. Don't forget, invite people to come with you. There are people just like you in this area that's looking for a church family like this, where they can grow, where they can be challenged, where they can be encouraged. They're done with the fluff. They're done with the motivational, you know, psyching them up and pep rallies. That's not really helping them with the realities of life. They're looking for more. And I think that they can get it here and other places as well. But I think they can get it here with you guys. So uh, if, you, if the Lord runs you into somebody like that, don't hesitate to invite them out to be with you on Tuesday night, on, on Sunday, or maybe, again, some of these other nights where the women or the men or our young adults, or so many others are meeting as well. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. God, I pray today that even though we just sort of dipped our toe into the book of Job, so much more in this book, yet, Lord, there's a few things in this book that sort of rise to the surface, that just sort of scream at us from the pages of Job and his experience. The reality of suffering, the limits of our understanding, the necessity of trusting in you, and that there's something even better than understanding, and that's your peace. God, I pray today that in, in our feeble attempt to bring this book and this time of worship, Lord, to you as an offering, that, God, that it was acceptable to you and that, Lord God, it was a benefit and profitable to your people today. That each person here today can leave this church, hopefully as they do every Sunday and Tuesday, saying, you know, it was worth the effort to go. I gained something. I, I grew. I, I was challenged. I was encouraged. That my walk with you, God, will be a little bit better, a little bit different, because I took the time, I made the time, God, I made it a priority to be out and be here and to be in your presence and be with your people and worship you and be in the word. God, continue to grow us as a church. We praise you for what you're doing and what you're going to do in our future. And we look forward to God being with you one day. 
where we truly will be able to worship in your presence. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.